Okay, we are in First uh, Samuel, chapter 30, First Samuel, chapter 30, and we're going to just overlap a little bit with what we read last time, and then we'll pick it up from there. So First Samuel, chapter 30, verse 16, <clears throat> when he had brought him, brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken or anything they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. (coughs) So, remember, David lost everything. To the, to the Amalekites. The Amalekites had made a raid on Ziklag, which David had occupied. And David and his men lost everything. They lost their families. They lost all their possessions. And the city was burned. And now they went after the Amalekites. They got it all back. David was able to recover all. It says in verse 20, So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of their other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. So in other words, David's men, the 400 men who were with David, dedicated to David because of his willingness to go out and and encouraging these men and saying, we're going to go out and attack these people. David really showed, again, leadership in the midst of trouble. And he sought the Lord. He had sought the Lord for the first time in 14 months. He sought the Lord and he went out after these people. And as a reward for this, his men committed to him all the livestock, not the original livestock which they recovered, but all the livestock which the Amalekites had taken on their other raidings. And remember, any raiding band or army would always have a lot of their own livestock because they had no refrigeration, so they would always keep live meat with them and then kill it as they needed it. So all the the additional cattle that had been gotten was committed to David. That was given to David as David's spoil. And we'll see in a moment what David did with all of that cattle, but with all that livestock. So let's let's look in uh, in verse 21. So David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And David approached the people and greeted them. And all the wicked and the worthless men among those who went with David, said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then David said, You must not do do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hands the band that came against us. And he who will listen to you, and who will listen to you in this matter, for as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be 
who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So, remember when David had had 600 men who were his soldiers, they had their families with them. The families were taken by the Amalekites. They set out with 600 men to go after the Amalekites. They were several days' journey ahead of them. Uh, uh, well, the, the David was several days' journey behind the Amalekites. And they were moving so rapidly that 200 of these men couldn't go any further. And so we remember that from, uh, from verse 9 of chapter 30. So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor and remained behind. So, now they're coming back from the battle, they're working their way back, they come to the brook Besor, and they're met by the 200 men that were too exhausted to go forward in that original march. They meet the 200. And it says, look at how the scriptures characterize this in verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, Behold, they did not go with us. We will not give them any of the spoil except what we have recovered, except to every man, his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So there was a group of men among David's 400 that the scripture characterizes as wicked and worthless. Well, what was the behavior of the wicked and the worthless? You know, this is a pretty strong term. If, if we were to, to characterize somebody as being wicked and worthless, we'd be like, oh, don't judge that person, person like that. Don't, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of hard. That's, that's mean. That's not Christian. That's... Well, the scriptures themselves characterize these men like that. They say that they were wicked and they were worthless. And what was wicked and worthless about them? Well, one of their characteristics was that they did not want to share all this grand spoil that was taken. They said, okay, for these 200 men that didn't go with us. Now, the reason for their not going was not because that they were lazy. It's just that they were really too exhausted to go on. They had just marched down several days' journey from the north where, they had in, where David had been with the Philistines. And now they were moving at such a pace... They just couldn't go on. It doesn't say because they were lazy back in verse verse 8 and 9. It's as though they just couldn't go go on. They were overwhelmed. Well, they come back and the the worthless ones among the 400 say, don't give them anything except their wives and their children and let them go. Just send them away. We're not going to even give them their, their former belongings, their former livestock, anything. Just their wife, their children... Tell him to go. And David reacts to this. Now, remember what had happened to David. David was on the verge of being stoned to death. He was on the verge of being killed. This was back up in earlier in chapter 30, chapter 30. He was on the verge of being killed. And God came and saved him out of this mess. And David turns around and he saves all the men out of this mess too. These men had lost everything. But God displayed to these men and to David great mercy. And it allowed them to recover all. So you would think that to one whom mercy has been shown, they would therefore extend great mercy. 
one would think that, that, oh, this person has, has been shown great mercy, so they will extend great mercy toward another. Well, the wicked and worthless among them were not going to do that, and David wouldn't stand for that. But look at how David says this in verse 23. David said to them, You must not do so, my brothers. So he characterizes these wicked and worthless men very different, very differently than the writer of the book of Samuel is characterizing them. He refers to them as his brothers. So he says to them, he says, um, You must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hands the band that came against us. So he says, he calls them his brothers. He says, my brothers, you can't do this. So look at how he approaches these people who are really wicked and worthless, according to the scriptures. He says, you're my brothers. I identify with you. He says, but you can't do this because God has given us. God did this. He says, with what the Lord has given us. It's not like we got this ourselves. The Lord has given this back to us who has kept us and delivered into our hands the band that we came against. And then in verse 24, it says, And who will listen to you in this matter? So in other words, there was some group, some segment among this 400 men that said, don't share with the 200. We don't know if it was 5%. We don't know if it was 10%. But there was some subset of this 400. And then he says, And who will listen to you in this? In other words, if you persist in having this attitude, just remember there's others among us who won't listen to you in this. We are going to choose the right way. He says, For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So look at how David characterizes these people. He says these 200 are the ones with whom we left our baggage with so we could move all the faster. He gives them this 200 that couldn't go on. He gives them some sense that they were useful. They had some role in this. They played some useful role in this. David gives that to them. He doesn't say, well, okay, to the ones that were too lazy to go on or to the ones that were too weak to go on. No, he says, to the ones with whom we left the baggage. And so he sets a new ordinance and he says, his share is going to be the same who goes to the battle as he who stays with the baggage. And then the writer says that, that he made it a statute and the ordinance for, for all Israel to this day. Again, another indication that the book is being written sometime after the, all of these events. Because he's saying that has remained to this day. So the writing is not taking place in real time. The writing is taking place sometime after the events. Maybe 70 years, maybe 100 years after the events. The writing is taking place. The actual formal writing of the book. Because so much went by oral, and, and, uh, uh, oral tradition and oral translation that was, that was occurring. So... Um, we see here this ordinance and this mercy. This same pattern is given to us in the church. I want you to turn over to, uh, uh, to Romans, Romans chapter four, 14. I'm sorry, uh, um, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. 
same sort of pattern. Romans chapter 15. And we will start reading at, uh, at verse 1. Romans 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong are, ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength. And not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Even as Christ did, even as Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So in verse 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. You know, the church is not a place to show off all the strong people. The church is really very much like a hospital where people come in and they're to be made well. And they're to be made well by the people who are stronger amongst us to make them well so that they can help others. It is said that the church grew so rapidly in its first 200 years because they cared for the sick and for the needy among them. There was this caring for them. It says we are... Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. You, know, you will always find in the body of Christ those who are weaker among the others, those who are a bit slower, those who are, who, who are a bit, have difficulty with things. And the scriptures say to us who think that we are the stronger, we are to minister to them. This is what this whole thing is about. It is not about we who think we are strong to show ourselves strong. It is about ministry. The body of Christ is about ministry. This is what it's for. It's for ministering to others. David said, you can't do this. Those who couldn't go on, they took care of the baggage. He gave them some role. He gave them some assignment. That you can take the weaker among the group and give them some task. This is your task. So that they feel that they have something. Even if it's as simple as staying with the baggage. And then he says, their role is the same as the others of us. Their reward is going to be the same as the others of us. Even though, sorry, we might have different roles, their reward is going to be the same. And then, you know, this is a very nice way of putting it. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength, and not just please ourselves. Remember, the body of Christ is not about me. It is not about us. It is not about, well, um, you know, I, I, I just, just feel I'm not getting enough out of that. No, the body of Christ is where we serve. If you don't have a capacity in the body of Christ, in some way, serving, if you're not in a, Christian group on campus where you're ministering, or in the body of Christ where you're ministering, whether it's teaching 80-year-olds or 8-year-olds or doing something like that, you're probably not bearing one another's burdens. You're not carrying the weaknesses of others. And you know what it is? Then we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at ourselves. This is all about me. We each have to have a role in the body of Christ. It could be in this local church. It could be in a campus group. But you have to have a role. Because what happens is, there's this feeling like, well, I'm a transient, I'm just a student here, and when I get done with school, then I'll serve. That is a lie. 
you will not. What you are today, you will be. Alright? If you're lazy and not doing anything for anybody else and just worrying about yourself, that is the way you will be when you graduate. You will not change. And, you know, I, I speak to, to many people who, who go out and get jobs and they think, you know, I had more time as a student. And students can't fathom that. You know, they think, that, you know, you don't have exams to have to worry about, that you have to study for at night. You've got all sorts of other things that you've got to run to and tend to. You must be serving in the body of Christ. There must be some role of service. And if you have nothing to do, come and see me. I will, I will get you with people that will allow you to try different things in the body of Christ and, and find a role. Remember, attending Agape, attending InterVarsity, attending BSM is not service. That is, again, feeding our faces. That is not service. Service is serving in those capacities. Be an MC. Set up the sound system, play music, control the slides, teach a small group Bible study. That is service. That is service. This is what it calls us to. And he calls us to, to, to serve in this way. Now, let's take this concept of mercy. These men had just been shown this tremendous act of mercy by God. And you would think that they would extend it. But that doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. In fact... Sometimes those who have received so much mercy can be absolutely merciless in the way they are toward others. And you you look at this and you scratch your head. Why is it this way? Because our hearts are sick. Look at this this passage in Matthew chapter 18. Look at a story that Jesus told about this. uh, uh, Jesus was quite direct about this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. For this reason, I say, for for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Okay, so this first slave owed this enormous debt. So, so the, the, the New American Standard puts it in terms of talents, owed him 10,000 talents. So then in the, in the margin, it, it talks about how much a talent is. Um, so 10,000 talents. And then if you, if you go ahead and... and uh, uh, so a talent was worth more than 15 years' wages. Okay, so one talent was 15 years' wages. So you got 10,000 talents times 15. So that's 150,000 years' wage. All right, so let's just say that he was a typical working man construction type, $25,000 a year. So you got $25,000 times 
times 150,000 years, that's $3.75 billion. That's the debt that was owed. $3.75 billion. Now, most of us could never pay that back in our lives. In fact, there's only a few people in the world that have made enough money to pay back a debt like that. So you've got $3.75 billion is the debt that is owed. So this is the way Jesus tells this story. And in fact, uh, Jesus took this number because it meant something. There was a debt that could not be paid. And so the penalty for that is that he was to be sold along with his wife and his children. They were all to be sold into slavery until the debt was paid. And the debt, of course, could never be paid. And so then this slave goes out and you would think that this slave would have tremendous mercy. So let me, let me just teach you the difference between a million and a billion because most people don't know because we don't deal in those numbers very often. But this is a change in three orders of magnitude. A million to a billion. That's ten of the sixth to ten of the ninth. If you had ten of the sixth or a million seconds, a million seconds is twelve days. Okay? A million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 32 years. Is there a difference between 12 days and 32 years? If you go up another three orders of magnitude to a trillion, you get 32,000 years. There's a difference between 32 years and 32,000 years. So put it in that, in that context. I mean, these are huge numbers. Now, if you look at how much the other person owed, the other slave, the fellow slave o- owed 100 denarii, which is about equal in our terms to about $12,000. So it is a debt. It's a significant debt. You don't want to be out $12,000. But compared to the $3.75 billion, $12,000 is in the noise. It doesn't even, doesn't even you know, compute very well in, in relation. These are the two scenarios that Jesus puts before us. Now look what he says happens to this slave that was forgiven a debt, but, but uh, couldn't forgive others. He says in verse 31, So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? In the same way that I had mercy on you, And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he has owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Whoa! Couldn't he have just ended it with verse 34? You know, the wicked slave just was handed over to the torturers. This is what Jesus said. You know, this is nice Jesus who loves the little children, who welcomes all. Look what he says. He says, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We don't have the prerogative to hold a grudge. We're not allowed to. Don't you see the standard that is upon us as believers is higher than the standard that is upon people of the world? Jesus raised the standard of the law for us. 
He set us free from the law, put us under the law of grace. But under grace comes great responsibility. He said, he didn't just say, you know, it's, it's sort of like it might happen to you. He said in verse 35, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you. Well, who is he teaching? He's teaching his disciples here. My heavenly Father will do this to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We cannot keep these grudges because the standard that is upon us is higher than the standard that is upon others. And whatever we sow, we reap. If we hold grudges, people will hold grudges against us. If we learn to forgive, people will learn to forgive us. We can't hold these things. As it said, each person is entitled to a bad day. Maybe the person who got upset with you had a bad day. You can't hold the grudge. You've got to let this thing go. We can't, we can't deal with people as they have dealt with us. We have to show mercy. We have to show mercy. It's, it's interesting because, because as a people, the Jews have been so oppressed for thousands of years, so oppressed. And when I go to Israel and I see sometimes, and I love Israel, I really love Israel, and I, and I, I care a lot for that place. But as I see sometimes the way they, they might treat others, I wonder how could a people who was so oppressed do this to another people. You wonder about that. Then I look back at myself. I mean, the same thing. The same thing. And sometimes people will say things to me, and, and my Jewish brethren will say things to me, and, and, and uh, say things about me, without giving me a chance to contest. And I, and I point out to them, I said, remember, as Jews, what has bothered us so much over the last 150 years is that they've said things about us without giving us a chance to contest, without giving us a chance to explain our side of the story. I said, don't you see that that's what you do, you're doing to me? Don't you see that that's what you're doing by saying what you're saying? You would think that those who have been shown mercy would show mercy, but it's not always the case. Here were a group of men among the 400 that were shown terrific mercy. They showed no mercy. Here was another man shown great mercy. You would think that he would show mercy. No. Our hearts are wicked and sick. And whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. Turn over to, to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, said the same thing. Jesus said the same sort of thing in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow. You want to hold things against other people? Do you want to? I mean, this is pretty serious business. Jesus said this. This is... When Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray, this is what Jesus said to his disciples after he taught them how to pray. Because he told them in their prayer, 
in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So this is what we pray when we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And you know what the Father says? Oh, okay. So, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. I mean, it's fair that He gives us what we ask for, right? It's the very thing we ask for when we pray that prayer. He holds us accountable. We are held accountable. You know, the, 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 the group of people often that has the hardest time to release in this, people that have been sexually abused, and, and they're like, I, I could just never let this thing go. And they say, you know, you don't have to love this person that did this, but you have to let it go. And you have to say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. And you speak that word. You speak that word every day. And say, Lord, give me forgiveness for them. Give me forgiveness for them. And you will see the Lord will begin to work something in your heart. The Lord can work forgiveness. Because I'm not the one asking you to do this. It is the Lord Himself who was crucified And as he was on that cross, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know, in in the kingdom, and in in, in modern Christianity, we are are gracious with with our pleas to people and we invite people. But Jesus was very, very firm with things. And, uh, uh, you know, Jesus could say things quite strongly at times. Um, In Acts chapter 17, in Acts chapter 17, let me show you the difference here about the way the Word of God calls us. In Acts chapter 17. You know how we, in in our current day, will invite people to come to the Lord? I invite you. Come to Jesus. This is the way we do it. Look at the way the scriptures talk about this. In Acts chapter chapter 17, start reading from verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So my scripture says... He is now declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent. What does the NIV say? Inviting? What? He commands all men everywhere to repent. This is what God does. You know, we invite. God commands. Repent. Repent. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Jesus says, if you don't show mercy, you're going to be turned over to the torturers, just like happened to that man, and my Father will do it to you. That's kind Jesus. Kind Jesus characterized it just like it is. He commands us to repent. He commands us to forgive our brothers from our heart, lest He won't forgive us. There's a command here. What do you want to do with that? 
We can couch it in all the invitation we want, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible commands us to repent, commands us to show mercy, commands us to forgive our brothers from our heart, not just, I forgive you. Not like that. He says, you're commanded to forgive from your heart. I don't have it in my heart. Well, ask of God and see what He will do. This is what the Scriptures display to us. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I thank You because You didn't pull any punches with us. You said it like it is. Father, thank You that we are to show mercy to others just as we have been shown mercy. We have been forgiven so great a debt, so great a debt. Lord, thank You for Your mercies on us. Lord, I pray for those here that that may have been abused as children or raped. Lord, I pray that You would You would so work in their hearts that they could release this. Release it to You. Because You are the one that calls them. Father, I thank You for Your Word that warns us, warns us concerning what will happen to us if we don't walk according to Your Word. This is not a light thing that has been put before us. These are serious issues and serious consequences of being turned over to torturers until repayment is made. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to release, to not hold grudges, to release, to lay things down, to forgive. Father, I pray for Your grace to abound upon them. Lord, thank You for Your mercies. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.